0: Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we asked the question, are the Gospels reliable? In that episode, we saw that although critics attack the Gospels, their attacks lack evidence. It was shown that even though it took several decades for the Gospels to be written, the oral traditions accurately and reliably preserved the message of the Gospels. It was also shown that not only were the Gospels not anonymously written, each of the Gospels represented eyewitness testimony. Lastly, we saw that in no way did legendary stories influence the Gospels. The Gospels, as found in the Christian Bible, represent eyewitness testimony and are accurate accounts of historical events which happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ was a real person, Who died on the cross, and according to eyewitness testimony, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. The last episode was in no way an in depth study of the reliability of the Bible as a whole. If you're interested in this topic, I'd encourage you to listen to episodes 10 through 17. These episodes will go into more detail on several different things what makes the Bible unique from all other religious books, why we have the Bible, who wrote the Bible, along with many other topics. Over the past couple episodes, we've addressed different topics that confront the Christian church, such as the topic of hell, the genocide recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, or the problem of evil. Prior to addressing these topics, we spent 10 episodes looking at the Mormon church. In this episode, I want to shift gears and return to the topic of religious groups that claim to be Christian to see if, in fact, they are Christian. The group that I'll be discussing in this episode is Jehovah's Witnesses. And just as I did when looking at the LDS Church and Mormonism, I want to ask the same question. Are Jehovah's Witnesses our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are these men and women who are so sincere in what they believe and dedicated to -to door-to-door evangelism? Are they Christian? Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christian, but just holding to slightly different views, similar to the differences between Baptists and Lutherans, or Methodists, or even the differences between Catholics and Protestants? Or, are these men and women members of a religious cult? In order to answer this question, We will need to look at what Jehovah's Witnesses claim and believe to see if their beliefs match up with what the Bible teaches. Over the next several episodes, we will not only look at what Jehovah's Witnesses claim and teach, but we will also look at a brief history of their church, we will look at different prophecies that several of their presidents made, and we will look at the New World Translation, which is their translation of the scripture. Lastly, We will also look at several passages of scripture that Jehovah's Witnesses use as proof texts for their beliefs. We will see if these passages provide proof for the Jehovah's Witnesses' faith. So let's begin. The first thing I want to look at is what the Watchtower claims. Now, if you're completely new to studying Jehovah's Witnesses, The Watchtower is the organization, and Jehovah's Witnesses are the members of the Watchtower organization. If you've ever received booklets or anything else from a Jehovah's Witness, the materials that you received from them were produced by the Watchtower organization, or rather, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of New York. Throughout this episode, you'll hear me refer to both the Watchtower organization as well as Jehovah's Witnesses. So, as I just mentioned, Jehovah's Witnesses are members of an organization called the Watchtower Organization, which until 2016, they had been headquartered in Brooklyn, New York, but are now headquartered in Wallkill, New York. According to publications made by the Watchtower, their organization believes that all other churches and denominations are false. Not only that, but according to page 439 of their July 15, 1960 edition of The Watchtower, they claim that they serve as, quote, "God's sole collective channel for the flow of biblical truth to men on earth." End quote. This publication that I just referenced is available through their Jehovah's Witness Library. If you have an iPhone, you can download their app called JW Library. And it gives you access to all of their publications. This is a new feature which I'm super excited about. Because in the past, whenever I did research, I used to have to write to their headquarters or visit their local kingdom halls whenever I wanted specific resources. Even then, my request for information was often rejected. Whereas now, I can access all of their resources going back 50 to 70 years. There's still a lot of resources that are not yet available on their app, but they seem to be uploading more resources as time goes on. So, back to their claims. Not only do they claim to be God's sole collective channel for the flow of biblical truth to men on earth, but they also claim to be the mouthpiece of God. In their October 1st, 1964 edition of the Watchtower magazine, listen to what they wrote. On page 601, they wrote, quote, Those who do not read can hear. For God has on earth today a prophet-like organization, just as he did in the days of the early Christian congregation. End quote. It's clear from these quotes that I just read to you from Watchtower Publications that they are claiming that the Watchtower organization is God's mouthpiece, God's prophet-like organization and God's sole collective channel for the flow of biblical truth on earth. Before we analyze these claims, to see if these claims are valid, I'd like to now look at what they believe. In the episodes I recorded dealing with Mormonism, we saw that Mormons add doctrines that do not exist in the Bible. The difference with Jehovah's Witnesses is that they don't add doctrine, they remove doctrine from the scripture that they disagree with. So, the problem isn't what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, it's what they don't believe that's the problem. So what are these core doctrines that Jehovah's Witnesses reject? The following are some of the core beliefs that they reject. Although they believe in God, Jehovah, they deny the Trinity. They also reject the deity of Christ. To them, Jesus was a created being and not God. The Watchtower teaches that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Besides their view of Jesus, Jehovah's Witnesses also deny the personage and the deity of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they claim that the Holy Spirit is just Jehovah's active force and not a person. The last doctrine that I'm going to address in this series that Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower reject is the doctrine of hell. According to Watchtower teaching, There is no hell where people will be eternally punished. Instead, they believe that non-believers will simply be annihilated and cease to exist. One of the resources that Jehovah's Witnesses hand out, or that is available through their app, is a resource titled, What Does the Bible Really Teach? And it's through this resource, as well as their many other resources, that teach the doctrines that I just mentioned. I'm going to come back to these beliefs later in this series when I address what the Bible teaches. What I want to do now is dive into their origin. The founder and first president of the Jehovah's Witness faith and the Watchtower organization was Charles Taze Russell. According to the Jehovah's Witness website, under Modern History of Jehovah's Witnesses Part 1, Early Voices 1870-1878, it points out, that Charles Taze Russell was born February 16, 1852 in a small town that's now part of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. According to this Watchtower publication, Russell's parents, Joseph and Eliza Russell, were both Presbyterians and raised Charles up in the same faith. However, this online article by the Watchtower explains that Charles later joined the neighborhood congregational church because it was more liberal as a teenager charles wrestled with many of the same things that christians all over the world wrestle with in fact the watchtower organization points out in the early voices publication that i keep referencing that at 15 years old quote the doctrines of predestination and eternal punishment gave him particular difficulty and by the time he was 17 he had become an avowed skeptic discarding the bible and the creeds of the churches. End quote. Something that I want to point out is that Russell experienced a lot of tragedy within his own family at a very young age. In fact, according to the video Faith in Action, which was produced by the Watchtower organization in 2010, it explains that before Charles Taze Russell turned nine years old, three of his siblings had died, and then shortly after, his mom died too. To make matters worse, the Civil War broke out a couple months after Charles' mother passed away, and it lasted four years, from 1861 to 1865. Charles was a young boy during these events, and they lasted from the time that he was nine until he was 13 years old. Death was everywhere, which causes people to contemplate things like hell and heaven, Charles was no different than anyone else who experiences the death of loved ones or anyone else. He wrestled with what he had been taught about God and hell. According to the Watchtower video that I just referenced, Charles eventually rejected the doctrine of hell. Other doctrines that he rejected was the Trinity and the Deity of Christ. In 1870, at age 18, He, along with his dad and about five others, began developing a new system of theology, which was the result of their regular Bible study. His studies didn't stop there. In fact, on July 1, 1879, at the age of 27, Russell launched his own magazine titled Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence, but later became known as The Watchtower. Several years later, in 1866, at the age of 34, Russell published a series of books that were originally titled The Millennial Dawn, but are now titled Studies in the Scriptures. As Russell began publishing different books, magazines, and other resources, he began teaching his members that his words were more important than the Word of God. For example, in the September 15th, 1910 edition of the Watchtower magazine, Russell makes the claim that it's better for people to read his books and ignore the Bible than it is for them to ignore his books and read the Bible. Let me give you another example of Russell's heretical claims. Now, because I don't want you to think that I've taken Russell's words out of context or misunderstood them, here is what he wrote on page 298 of the September 15th 1920 edition of The Watchtower. After explaining that his six-volume series titled Scripture Studies was, and I quote, not merely comments on the Bible, but are practically the Bible itself, end quote, listen to what he goes on to say. Charles Taze Russell says, quote, Furthermore, not only do we find that people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself, But we see also that if anyone lays the scripture studies aside, even after he has used them, after he has become familiar with them, after he has read them for 10 years, if he then lays them aside and ignores them and goes to the Bible alone, though he has understood his Bible for 10 years, our experience shows that within two years he goes into darkness. On the other hand, if he had merely read the scripture studies with their references and had not read a page of the Bible, as such, he would be in the light at the end of the two years because he would have the light of the scriptures. End quote. Here in this Watchtower publication, Russell is boldly and erroneously claiming that if people ignore his books and try to just read the Bible, they will fall into darkness but that if people ignore the Bible and only study His books, then they will be in the light. Let me recap what we've discussed in this episode. We've seen that Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower organization believes itself to be the mouthpiece of God and that all other religions are corrupt and therefore false. Because Charles Taze Russell made statements like this, as well as rejected foundational Christian doctrines such as the deity of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and the doctrine of hell, he was seen as a fraud by the Christian community. In fact, in 1913, Rev. J.J. Ross published pamphlets which claimed that Russell was a fraud. As a result of these pamphlets, Russell sued Rev. Ross for defamation of character. In fact, The following is a letter that Ross wrote to Russell regarding the lawsuit that Russell had filed. Quote, Dear Mr. Russell, you have entered legal action against me for defamatory libel because I published in Cause to be Circulated a leaflet titled, Some Facts About the Self-Styled Pastor Charles T. Russell. I am sincerely desirous that you should push this action to a finish. If I set you forth in a false light, I wish to know it, and to take the consequences. And if I told you the truth, I wish the Canadian public to know it. When I published the leaflet, I believed the facts stated to be absolutely truth. Had I any doubt about the truthfulness of them, I certainly would not have signed my name to the leaflet. I still believe those facts to be true, and I am confirmed in my faith by the verdict given by the jury in Brooklyn the other day. There was no malice in my writing that leaflet, and therefore no attempt at revenge. You never did me any personal harm. I never heard or saw you until you appeared in the police court here a few weeks ago. The leaflet was published purely for the public good, and as a warning to weak Christians." After talking about the different hearings that were scheduled, Reverend Ross continued his letter by writing, I write this personal letter under registered seal, earnestly requesting you come to Hamilton for the next hearing of our case on February 28th. If it be impossible for you to appear here on that date, will you please fix a date and inform me or my attorney accordingly, and we will endeavor to have a postponement made to meet you. I urge you to come. For your own sake, the sake of your friends and followers, and also for the sake of the public in general, you ought to appear. The defense requires your presence here. In all fairness to all concerned, you surely are under obligation to come. Should you come, I will be pleased to pay your return fare from and to Brooklyn, New York. Earnestly awaiting your reply, I am sincerely yours, J.J. J. Ross. End quote. This letter comes from pages 11 through 13 of J.J. J. Ross's book titled Some Facts and More Facts About Charles Taze Russell, which was written in 1913. Ross documented the trial as well. He explained that in court, Russell denied all of the charges that Ross made against him. The charges that Charles Taze Russell claimed defamed his good character. However, listen to what Ross writes in his book. Quote, By denying these charges, he claimed for himself a high scholastic standing, having a knowledge of the dead languages, having taken a course in theology, systematic and historical theology, ordination, church affiliation, and so on. But now, what are the facts as they were brought out by the examination on March 17th 1913. As to his scholastic standing, he had sworn that what was said about it was not true. Under the examination, he admitted that at most he had attended school only seven years of his life, that the public school, and that he had left school when he was about 14 years of age, just at the opening of the adolescent period, When the directional element is so necessary in a boy's life. Ross goes on to point out that in court, Charles Taze Russell had to admit that he did not know Greek. For example, Ross records the following Do you know the Greek? asked the attorney. Oh, yes, was Russell's reply. Here, he was handed a copy of the New Testament in Greek by Westcott and Hort, and asked to read the letter of the alphabet as they appear on the top of page 447. He did not know the alphabet. Now, asked Mr. Stanton, Are you familiar with the Greek language? No, said Mr. Russell, without a blush. When he saw that he was caught, then he admitted that he knew nothing about Latin and Hebrew and neither had he ever taken a course in philosophy, systematic theology, and neither had he ever attended any of the higher schools of learning. End quote. As I bring this episode to a close, let me address an argument that you might have, which is, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Brian, what's the point? Why does it matter if Charles T. Russell quit school at age 14 with only seven years of education? Or why does it matter that he couldn't read Greek, Latin, or Hebrew? Why does it matter that Russell had never attended college or taken courses in philosophy or systematic theology? The reason that this is so significant, as Ross points out, is that, quote, This is the man who goes about claiming that he alone has the proper understanding of the scriptures, condemning the translators of the Bible, and denouncing all ministers and teachers of the word except himself. End quote. So, why is this such a big deal? Because it shows that Charles Taze Russell was not qualified to be a pastor, and yet he's claiming to be the sole possessor of biblical truth. Not only that, but as I pointed out earlier, Charles Taze Russell claimed that if people ignore his books and try to just read the bible they will fall into darkness but that if people ignore the bible and only study his books then they would be in the light now i will say that it can be argued that one does not need to go to seminary to be a pastor and that the apostles were uneducated men and that god used them greatly the difference is that the apostles were taught by jesus and they pointed people to Christ using the Scripture. The apostles taught people to treasure the Word of God, and they never told people to neglect God's Word. But the same is not true for Charles Taze Russell. He was removing Christian doctrines and writing doctrines when he had no biblical training. The next person I want to look at is the second president of the Watchtower organization, Joseph F. Rutherford, known as Judge Rutherford. However, for the sake of time, we will have to look at Judge Rutherford in our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we continue looking at different Watchtower presidents. In our next episode, we will look at some of the prophecies made by these men to see if those prophecies came true. Were these men truly the mouthpiece of God, as the Watchtower claims? Come back next time to find out. God bless.